For the week of May 2nd, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with a former congressional staffer, Andrew Lockman, who gives us some insider tips on how to best contact your member of Congress. And then we talk with Joe Colombo. He is the head of the group Indivisible Puyallup. And then, as per usual, we have our dose of good news, followed by our weekly call to action. So, calling your member of Congress, it is one of the bedrock principles of the Indivisible Guide. And there are a variety of views on just how to do it, uh, how many issues you should raise per phone call, whether you should try to keep the person you're speaking to on the line as long as you can, whether it's better to call the district office or the D.C. office. I thought it might be illuminating to get someone who has actually been on the other side of the phone to talk to. So I reached out to Andrew Lockman. Andrew has a CV that is a mile long and would take most of the show, quite frankly, to list in its entirety. So I'll just list off some of the big stuff. He currently heads his own legal practice, Lockman and Associates. He is an adjunct professor on business law at Woodbury University. And on the political side of things, he has worked for the California State Senate as joint committee consultant slash district representative where he managed the Joint Committee on the Arts. He has also been uh, Election Protection Counsel for the Obama campaign in Florida and Nevada, and he is currently a sitting member of the DNC. And more recently, he was Legislative Director for Ted Lieu, Congressman from California's 33rd District. And he actually promised that he would come back and talk with us about some of the other stuff on his resume. But for our purposes here today, we spoke with him because in a former life, he was an intern for Maryland Senator Barbara Mikulski in 1988, and he answered the phones. So based on that experience, I asked Andrew to break down the process of calling your member of Congress. The first thing is to understand who you're talking to in most cases. So your average staffers are a lot younger than I am. I actually came back onto the Hill in my 40s, which is later than most. Most of these people, especially the kids, the people answering the phone, these are either interns who are college students, sometimes even high school students. They may be fellows or we're called staff assistants, of course, sort of the front line, the people who take all the phone calls coming in. So these are people who are in their 20s. Many of them are right out of college, and they're not the ones making the policy. So they're more likely than not, they're there to learn how the system works. And so they're they're answering phones and they're answering letters and, you know, taking constituents out on tours around the building and that sort of thing. So understand these people are not subject matter experts on everything. Secondly, understand that the person they're going to most want to hear from are from people in the district. And I know that gets frustrating when you want to call up the chair of a committee or that sort of thing. Right. Um, but more likely or than not, they want to hear from the people who elected them first and foremost. So if you live in their district, you know, U.S. Senate or Congress, they should respond uh, and they should be respectful. And they will answer you, I think, truthfully, if you want to know where the congressperson is and take in your opinion. If you're not from the district, the better way to make a difference is to be part of an organization that's reaching out to them that maybe is meeting with staff. Can you give me a for instance on that? Like what would be sure. an organization that might call up a representative out of their district that would have some weight with the staffer? Let's say you care about uh, campaign finance issues. So the organizations like People for the American Way or the American Association for Justice, which represents a lot of trial attorneys, they may be active on those issues. Okay, got it. So like an advocacy or lobbying group. So in this day and age of 
phone ID. If you call from outside your district and happen to say, well, I'm from, you know, you make up a zip code that happens to be within that member of Congress's district. Can they tell that you're not? I mean, I'm not encouraging anybody to be dishonest, but I'm I guess I'm just sort of curious to know how that works in this day and age. Well, first of all, caller ID matters less because you've got number portability. So and I can attest to that. I've had a Los Angeles cell phone for many years now, even though I haven't lived there. So, yeah, absolutely. So your phone number won't matter. But every member of Congress has a database of every registered, in theory, every voter, every person in their district. Got it. Okay. And so if you give them your name and they can look up your name and your address pretty easily. Also, in a lot of cases, they want to acknowledge that they heard from you. And so to the extent, especially in districts that are less urban, a lot of these members of Congress pride themselves on that personal touch. So they can look you up. Well, so speaking of personal touch, and I've heard two viewpoints on this, but I'll ask you, does it carry more weight if you call the home district office as opposed to the D.C. office? It varies by office. It is the answer. Most offices get calls at both and they keep track at both. The bigger the time zone difference, the more likely you are to want to actually call your district office. So if you're in California or Hawaii or Nevada or something like that, Texas, you may want to call the district office because they'll report those in. And if you're on the East Coast, then it's a 50-50 shot. Gotcha. not matter as much. Now, when people call, how many issues should somebody try to address maximum? I wouldn't say more than two. Frankly, one. Mm-hmm. They're getting calls every second, and so they want to be able to focus on you. How useful are those scripts that you see from a lot of advocacy organizations where they say, my name is such and such from such and such zip code, and here's why I want blah, 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 blah. And it's like a paragraph long. Is that frustrating to a staffer when they hear that? Well, I think it helps keep it precise, although it never hurts to have a personal touch. With regards to letters, I mean, if we're getting... 500 letters that all say the same thing, it's clear that this is a campaign. Mm -hmm. On one hand, you're looking at this and going, wow, we have a lot of people in our district who care about this, and they will notice that. On the other hand, the more personal the message, the more likely they are to appreciate the originality of thought. Got it. So the staff takes a tally of phone calls slash emails slash letters, contact of any sort. They tally up the issues by number. And then at what point do they present that to the member of Congress and in what way? It varies. I mean, usually, you know, someone once told me if you've seen how one congressional staff office runs, you've seen how one congressional staff office <laughs> okay, runs. Okay, so it varies. Got it. It's all highly dependent on the personalities. You've got some who care about their district but rely very heavily on their staff to do that filtration and make recommendations. And you've got some. I know people who are high-ranking members of, of committees, and they still go through every letter personally And they want to know exactly what the tallies are and are very involved with what's happening on a political and and issue level in their district. So it varies widely. I will ask you one last question, and that is a brand new piece of technology that is accessing a very old piece of technology. Uh, There is something called ResistBot that is a text program that you can use to fax your member of Congress. Basically, you type in what you want your fax to say, and this is for you. I think when your member of Congress's voicemail boxes are full or they are not answering their phones, our faxes are very old school, but do they have an impact? Uh, Well, they do have an impact. 
I know that when I was working on the Hill, we had to respond. You know, we got a lot of individual faxes and had to respond to them. I know the Tea Party has been using this mechanism for a while. But I think things like this are bringing faxes back, which is funny because I was one of the few people in my office who still insisted on having their fax number on my card. I think some people laughed about it, but it's still used. And, and with PDFs now, you can even email things, email attachments. Right. So there's a lot of options. I think it's great. The more mechanisms, the better, as long as you know, the people who you're paying to do it aren't trying to manufacture a crisis to get you to, to give money to them. In a hierarchical sense, just I want to underscore this point once again, short of meeting with your member of Congress in person, the most effective thing that you can do is make a phone call. Yes, I think the most effective thing you can make a phone call because the phone tallies is probably the single largest impact. Second would be letters sent in. There you go. Well, Andrew Lockman, thank you so much for being on the show. Time now for this week's call to action, beginning like we do with some good news. Let us take a moment to celebrate the Democrats' qualified win and Trump's pretty much unqualified loss on his budget. First, he failed to get funding for his border wall. Second, importantly for those of you in Seattle especially, the budget failed to put in place any funding cuts for sanctuary cities. For those of us who care about health and science, which should be pretty much everybody, the National Institute of Health got a $2 billion raise in its budget, despite Trump's calls to defund it. He also wanted to gut the EPA by one-third, but they only received a 1% cut. I will add editorially that they should be receiving billions more, but they have survived, and that is important, especially right now. Also, he failed to get funding cuts to Planned Parenthood and... Subsidies to Obamacare will continue. Now, that last one gets an asterisk since the GOP is bound and determined to destroy Obamacare. And frankly, it has largely been through the efforts of the Indivisible Movement, people like you. Hey, call on their members of Congress that many GOP legislators have found the issue to be politically untenable. So why not make that this week's call to action? Paul Ryan has made it abundantly clear that he's not going to stop trying to simultaneously take away health insurance from millions of Americans while also giving a giant tax cut to the super wealthy. As of the recording of this show on May 2nd, the GOP is still trying to make adjustments to what is being called zombie Trump care so that it will appease both the Freedom Caucus and moderate Republicans. So like it or not, we're just going to have to keep on calling and calling and calling because, look, this isn't just a matter of politics. Millions of people's lives actually hang in the balance. So let's save health care again. And that is this week's call to action. My next guest is Joe Colombo. Joe heads up the group Indivisible Puyallup, a progressive group in a pretty conservative town. Last year, Joe actually participated in the state caucuses during the primaries. Before that, he says he'd never really been involved in politics. The most I had ever done was voting. So that was pretty much my extent of being engaged in politics. Uh, but I felt I needed to do something more because I was seeing the caucuses occurring in other states and seeing uh, some people were questioning the outcome of those caucuses. 
So I wanted to go and participate in one myself to see exactly what occurs at one. A lot of people who have gotten started in politics recently did so after the election, but you, you did so before. And then you became a PCO or precinct committee officer uh, for people who are interested in doing that. And there are a number that we hear from on this show. So tell us exactly what a PCO does. The PCO just kind of coordinates their local community. Uh, so each precinct is approximately 1,500 voters, and you get a list of people that uh, have voted Democrat or are likely Democrats in your area. And your goal is to go out and meet them and talk to them, find out what the issues are, and see if you can get them engaged at any kind of level that they're comfortable in. Right. So ultimately, then your job is to get them to vote, right? Get them excited enough and engaged enough so that they actually go to the polls, yeah? Exactly. Uh, Especially since I know last election, we had a lot of people that didn't even bother to vote. And I would like to try to change that. I think a lot of us would. Uh, So what then prompted you to start uh, Indivisible Puyallup? Well, uh, it happened back in December. I had three different friends, none of who knew each other. Uh, They sent me a link to the Indivisible Guide. And I took some time and I read it. And it resonated with me. Um, I liked how it gave a game plan on how to use the Tea Party's tactics against Trump. Right. Uh, So I used the Indivisible Guide website, put in my zip code, and it came up that the nearest Indivisible group near me was Lake Taps. Uh, So I joined them, but Lake Taps is a a little bit of a distance away from where I'm living in Puyallup. Then on uh, February 2nd, I had somebody seek me out on Facebook. Uh, who knew that I was involved with the 25th LD Democrats. And she said, hey, have you thought about starting an indivisible group? And I said, well, you know what? I can use Facebook and set up a a group and just kind of see what happens. And within a few weeks, uh, we very quickly grew to 200 online members. Uh, So that was the time where she connected with me again and said, you know what? We need to meet in person and start having some kind of meetings where we can all meet each other. And I said, that is a fantastic idea. So we set up some meetings. And at our very first meeting, we had 40 people show up. That's a great level of engagement. And I know that your your group itself is close to 300 members. And so you continue to grow. I'm interested in the politics and issues that are specific to Puyallup and to Pierce County generally. Uh, Pierce County tends to be a bit more Republican. Yeah, that is true. Uh, And I know that our area, specifically after the redistricting that occurred uh, this last decade, we incorporated more rural areas, which turned us a little bit more red. Uh, I would say some issues that are specific to our area is, first of all, our three local representatives in the in the state party. Uh, They're all Republicans. Right. Which is in keeping with your district's politics. Uh, Do you as a group engage with your senators and legislators on the state level? We we have. uh, What we have been doing recently is they've been holding town halls uh, once a month. So we've been attending those. Uh, What have those been like? They've been very interesting. So the first one that occurred in February, we pretty much packed the room. And I do know that one of them said when they walked into the room, oh, my God, we've never seen so many people at a town hall. (laughs) (laughs) And they took questions from the audience. But uh, I don't think they liked where the questions were leading. So at the second town hall, they made us write questions on note cards so they could control the conversation. Mm. And most of the people at the second town hall wanted answers about uh, funding education. 
you, you know, because there's a couple of plans out there of how we're going to fund our schools. The um, There was a levy cliff coming up and then the McCleary ruling. But they answered almost nothing on school funding. They sound pretty characteristically unresponsive. Uh, so I'd like to shift over and talk about some of the larger aims and goals of your group, Indivisible Puyallup. Just uh, give me an overview. Uh, I know that you have three major issues that you're focused on. What are they? So the three items that we're taking a look at right now uh, are uh, not having the ACA repealed because there's a lot of people that will be hurt if their health care goes away. The second one is having Trump release his tax returns. Mm -hmm. This is very important to us because he's trying to pass uh, a new tax law. And without seeing those tax returns, we have no idea how it's going to personally benefit him. Right. Uh, so we feel that that's very important for transparency. And then the third is uh, the investigation into Russia's ties to the election and how they influenced it and who they've been in contact with. And we are very fortunate that Denny Heck seems to be leading the charge on that. Yeah, he is He's your congressman in the 10th. He's a Democrat. Uh, how have you been interacting with him as a group? So Denny has been holding a lot of public events, and uh, we've been attending those. So he had a health care march in Tacoma, and we went to that, and it was great. There was about 400 people there, and I know that there was at least three different indivisible groups, including indivisible Puyallup there. We went to a town hall uh, the other week on uh, specifically about the investigation into Russia, and he was also at the March for Science in Tacoma, and we were able to chat with him briefly there. It's interesting to have a, and this is speaking as somebody who lives in the 8th District, it's it's interesting to have a representative who is responsive to, you know, the needs of his uh, more progressive constituents. Uh, we don't see that here in the 8th. And speaking of the 8th, actually, I should mention that you have 10% or so of your members who do live in the 8th District. How have you handled that as a group? Have you uh, participated in any of the protest events against Dave Reichert? So we have partnered with the Lake Taps Resistance Group, uh, who are all in the 8th District, right. to, to partner with some of the events that they've done. Uh, one of the most recent was that they uh, did a protest for Trump's taxes right on a street corner in Bonnie Lake. And so some of our members went there in support. Um, and we do plan on doing more things with them in the in the future, like inviting the, our members that live in the 8th to go to the town halls that they're throwing, even though Dave Reichert isn't appearing at them. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, he, he tends he tends not to at all, ever. Uh, yeah. <laughs> he tends to show up on uh, Channel 13 and Facebook, but not actually in person. Uh, so tell us a little bit about what uh, what sort of future actions and events you have planned for the group. We have uh, plans that we'd like to go visit uh, Denny Heck and his staff in person to discuss our concerns, uh, as well as learn from him what's going to be effective in helping to push back against Trump's uh, regressive policies. Um, in fact, I know that Denny Heck is having another social event occurring uh, May 5th in Tacoma that we will be at. Um, and then we'll also be attending any upcoming local marches. Uh, I know that there's going to be a March for Truth that they're trying to plan right now. Yeah, I've been hearing about that. That's supposed to happen on June 3rd, I believe, and that is investigating Trump's Russia ties. So uh, we'll definitely be keeping an eye on that uh, here on the podcast. Uh, anything else that you have uh, planned coming up on the calendar? 
we do have member meetings every two weeks. Uh, we're a relatively kind of newer chapter of Indivisible, so we're still planning out what's going to work for us. Uh, I know that we're working very hard to increase our membership, so our number one priority is going to be outreach, especially to anybody that feels disenfranchised. We, we want to get the message out that we are here and that there are like-minded people that want to fight against Trump's regressive agenda. Yeah, because, and I'll, I'll just sort of close on this, because you are in sort of a, a red town in a red county, have you encountered any opposition to what it is that you're doing? Not yet. Um, I mean, the most that I've seen is I have, you know, I, I do have a Bernie Sanders bumper sticker on my car. <laughs> And I have it a couple people honk and flip me off. <laughs> um, and I do know that there are several people in downtown Puyallup that have InfoWars stickers on their cars. So I'm a little, you know, there's a little bit of that to sort of be aware of. But so far, nobody, you know, outright that has been against us or anything like that. All right. Well, keep up the good fight, brother. Joe Colombo, thank you so much for joining us on the program, man. Great. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. And that is it for this week's Washington State Indivisible podcast. Just a couple of final notes. First, I am in the process of growing the coverage of the show, and I am looking for some volunteers with experience in radio, podcasting, sound production, that kind of thing. Uh, specifically, I'm looking for sound editors and producers. So if that is you or if you know someone who fits the bill who is looking to get involved, have them shoot me an email at WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. Again, WashingtonIndivisiblePod at gmail.com. And, of course, I absolutely love hearing from you guys about your feedback, your thoughts on the show. So do keep the emails coming. Also, we now have a Facebook page. You can find it, appropriately enough, by entering Washington State Indivisible Podcast into the search function in Facebook. I hope to see you there. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Andrew Lockman and Joe Colombo. And thanks to you, as always, for listening. We'll talk to you guys next time. Bye.